You're listening to The Right Women Podcast, a platform created for Black Caribbean female writers and authors who audio scribe their origin stories and their journeys to authorship. I'm your host and storyteller, Empress Zynga. Book 1, Chapter 1, April L. Thomas. Multi-award winning writer April L. Thomas is no stranger to the page. Her poems have earned her numerous accolades in her native Barbados, including the Kamal Brathwaite Award for Literary Excellence and the Prime Minister's Scholarship for Literary Arts. April brings a poetic flair to her prose writing and her unique style has solidified her place on the local and international scene. Her debut novella, When a Spade Isn't a Spade, was released in spring 2015 and is available for download in the Kindle library. Hey guys, we are here in Pelican Village with April Thomas for one of our episodes for The Right Women. Welcome. Thank you. Well, first up, tell us who is April Thomas um, and how did you become a right woman? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, how do you summarize, I don't know, like 10 years of storytelling into, I don't know, two seconds, 30 seconds? How much time do I have here right now? Up to you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The story that I like to tell is that I never planned to be a writer. Um, I was at a school that promoted sciences and I was on the track to becoming a dentist and I was right there. I mean, I was going for the gold and then... I got a two in CXC chemistry, okay. and um, to everybody else, that probably sounds brilliant. But for <laughs> me, at the school I went to, that was a no-no. Oh, okay. um, and that really just kind of put a spoke in my meal, in my wheel, and I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe this isn't it. Maybe chemistry isn't it. Maybe sciences aren't it. Mm. Um, and I looked back, and I was like, what am I good at? Like mm-hmm. just naturally. Mm. And it was English lit. It was English lang. It was writing. It came naturally to me. Mm-hmm. It flowed out of me and I was like I gotta figure out a way to make a career out of this <laughs> because the dentistry thing is mine <laughs> so I just went head first into doing English Lit in sixth form mm-hmm. I went on and did communications at school and I dabbled in some creative writing courses while I was there and mm-hmm. I just kept writing and kept writing and then somebody called me a writer so then <laughs> I guess I was <laughs> yeah okay now in your career you have collected some very big awards mm-hmm. one of them um, is the Kamal Braffitt Award mm-hmm. um, tell us about these awards how did you feel like I know you you start off by saying that when you got to that crossroads of I am not going to do X I'm going to become a writer and usually when people say they're going to become a writer your family's like oh that's nice you can do that in your spare time <laughs> you know the whole art the art talk mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but then now you actually got recognized by national awards how did you feel you felt like you was on the right track or was it like alright maybe yes or did you get scared like this is really happening mm. yeah I definitely think that the awards have been some form of validation for me because even when you tell yourself you're going to become a writer and then you start writing things and you share it with your friends or with your mother they're like oh yeah this is great (laughs) this is so nice you should like do something with this (laughs) you kind of feel it okay they're just telling me this because you know they love me Mm -hmm. but then when you put it out there people who have no idea who you are who care nothing about you are you know what you're producing they have no allegiances to you and they can say hey Mm. this is a good piece of writing Mm -hmm. that is like (laughs) 
all the validation that you need as a writer because i mean obviously you know it's a subjective art some people will love what you write some people will hate what you write Mm -hmm. but then over a period of time to collect awards by whatever outlets to have you know whatever standards and just kind of basic ideals about what good writing is and they can look at you and say hey Mm -hmm. this is a good piece of work i think it's really encouraging and i think that is what encouraged me to keep writing Mm. Have you had bad reviews of your work? And if you did, how how did you get around that? Did you welcome those critiques? Or were they like, all right, this person talking about uh, foolishness, I really vote down. Thankfully, I think I've been blessed in that regard, <laughs> never to have somebody say something completely, you know, scathing or horrible about my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had some people tell me, you know what, some of the stuff you write just isn't for me it's good mm-hmm. it's just not for me mm-hmm. and I, I i can appreciate that you know it's not going to be for everybody but thankfully i've not had a case fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> of anybody coming and just ripping my work to shreds i okay. have had some cases where i went like to maybe judges reviews or stuff like that and okay. they're kind of always like you could do this better you could do more of this dig deeper and mm. It's always been very constructive. All okay. the criticism I've gotten has always been really constructive. Okay. Another big thing I remember you being on was for the 50th anniversary of our independence, Barbados's independence, you were a writer on one of the poems, mm-hmm. or rather the, the group poem that was done for the anniversary. Could you tell us about that process and how you had to go about doing that? I think that might have been one of the most challenging um, projects I've ever had to work on because like you said it was a group poem mm-hmm. and anybody who has done any kind of group project at school can relate to how absolutely difficult <laughs> and stressful it is yeah. so kind of just mesh everybody's thoughts yeah. um, together but now you're dealing with artists you're dealing with yeah. creative people and everybody had their own style mm-hmm. and I think they intentionally tried to match just everybody from across the spectrum so they mm-hmm. had younger writers more um, established writers, mm-hmm. women, men, and they just kind of threw us all together, and we were supposed to make this epic one, piece. This one <laughs> epic, and I was like, "Oh dear, um, suppose <laughs> like mine doesn't really fit." And then I think they put me to go first as well. I think mm. mine went first, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm setting the tone for this thing." Yeah. Um, but you know, thankfully, the group that I was working with, they were great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we produced something that everybody was well pleased with, <laughs> i think um yeah and sometimes i listen to it again i'm like whoa i can't believe we all came together and we did this and i definitely wish there were like more of those types of projects out there mm. so in terms of of that project and having it now like i think for me that would be like the biggest job or one of the biggest jobs you would probably ever have in your career mm-hmm. um what advice would you give to somebody who may have to do that in the future because it could not have been easy as you Mm -hmm. said it's artwork that has to be stripped into multiple ways to create one cohesive thing different styles uh different genders different thoughts different Mm -hmm. streams of Mm -hmm. thought that have to gel together and make sense what would you think um would be good advice for somebody who may have to do that in the future um, I think for that and really just for any writing project that you're called to do, I think my biggest advice would just be to stay true to yourself and your mm-hmm. writing. I think it's the easiest thing to do to try to, to kind of just almost lose yourself trying to fit into a mold of what you think it should be like or what you think would mm-hmm. work best or mm-hmm. trying to match somebody else's style. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I, I did it thankfully, but 
there was a sense there of intimidation, especially with the more experienced writers. Like, oh my goodness, should I be writing more <laughs> like them? Yeah. You know, but then just remember somebody chose you for a reason. Somebody mm-hmm. chose your style for a reason. Um, and you can never do anybody else's style mm-hmm. the way they can. Like, you can't commit to it. So just figure out what yours is. Remember why they chose you mm-hmm. and just just commit to it mm-hmm. and it'll be fine. And as a black Caribbean woman, how do you see our voices as writers and as artists playing a role like in the evolution of who we are probably as a country as a region globally how important is our voice i think it's oh gosh how do i even i don't think there's a word i know the writer can't find a word (laughs) um but i do think it is it is so crucial to our continued existence and to our evolution Mm -hmm. um that space mm-hmm. finding ourselves and putting ourselves out there in that space is so important um seeing ourselves that representation for others and for ourselves i know for a lot of people art in whatever form whether poetry or dance or film it is expression it is a sense of healing it is so many things to so many people yes. and i think to not have yourself there represented at all is it can chip away at you Mm -hmm. without even realizing it and I find myself now even like when I turn on you know Netflix and I see a movie (laughs) that has like you know black people in it and black Caribbean people in it you're just like oh my goodness I have to watch this there's me there's me and there's Caribbean culture there and you know it is it is really it it does something for your soul it Mm. really does and so for me I think that's another reason that I just have to keep writing I just have to keep doing it even if it's just like reaching 10 people there are 10 more people there that feel like this is me I can relate to this Mm. now on your website especially you wave the flag of Barbados very very proudly you always say that you're from the caribbean you always say you're from the from barbados and that also plays a very heavy role in what you write and what you distribute to people there's always this element of the caribbean or the caribbean aesthetic so when you're doing your research to put out these books like what are some of the things that you think are important that must be within the pages of your books i think there are a lot of things that go into really capturing the essence of what it means to be a Caribbean person, what it means to be from Barbados. Um, I think being able to commit to a lot of these situations is really important. Things like location, things like dialogue, not compromising on those things mm-hmm. really helps it come through and hit home with people. And again, that's something that has come to me over time. When I first started writing, I used to shy away from the dialect. Mm-hmm. I used to shy away from using places that seem too local that you know mm-hmm. somebody wouldn't understand yeah. like, i don't know why i had it in my mind that i was writing for like this 18 year old australian girl <laughs> that i had to like make my stuff as watered down and mm-hmm. as like explanatory to everyone i don't know why or where i got that mm-hmm. from but i think again with the more i kept writing and the more the stuff i was writing got recognized i started to feel more comfortable and mm-hmm. really expressing what i see around me and what i feel and what i hear around yeah. me and so i think that was kind of the process for it mm-hmm. and just yeah th- th- those three things like the location and the dialogue and just keeping that essence of of what it means to be from the west indies like mm. that is what you or i pour into my work and that's what i think makes it real what is your favorite novel or what is a novel you think is very underappreciated that you've read sometimes that people may think 
for granted mm. like yeah this was a really good book i don't know why people don't read this or quote from it or teach from it oh man and it doesn't have to be for a female no, Caribbean no, person. I know. I just mean, oh gosh. I and I think it's weird because the things that relate to me. Okay, so this is gonna sound weird, but I actually feel like a lot of my writing is similar to, um, to Killer Mockingbird. Okay. So, kind of like reading or hearing about this really important case that's going on <laughs> through the eyes of like a child who is concerned with all these childlike things i think it like adds some element some degree of separation to the serious thing that's going on mm-hmm. but in a way that makes it easy to come to or easy to relate to so rather than mm-hmm. you like reading a book about something that's really heavy and really hard and really dark mm-hmm. you kind of are but because it's through the mm-hmm. eyes of this particular character this point there's of an view, element of innocence yeah there's an innocence to it and it's it's not as hard hitting but it still hits home mm-hmm. and i love i just love how well that was done Okay. I think it was executed so well. I think it's a book that when people read it, it resonates with them. I mean, it's like on the one hundred must read list <laughs> of books for like even everyone. even in secondary you, you school, know, right? like that's where you get introduced to like exactly. really heavy literature. That those are like one of the first books you ever get. How to Kill a Mockingbird? Exactly, and I think that one never left me. Mm-hmm. And I reread it, I think, a couple of years ago, and I was like, this is just as good as <laughs> I remember it being. And the characters are so vibrant, and mm-hmm. it's it's just a good piece of writing. Now, in terms of your own work, mm-hmm. which one you think is your favorite? Your favorite book? You don't have a favorite child? <laughs> no. You, you don't have no. a favorite child at all? I can't even tell you what genre of writing is my favorite. That's how bad I am. Like, I just love every, like, everything. I feel like everything I put out there represents a different part of me okay and a different style that i have and so it just depends on like what i feel like on the day like am i a poet some days yes mm-hmm. am i a you know short story writer yes am mm-hmm. i a novel writer yes and so t- for me to choose one would be to tell you you know this is me today but tomorrow it will change i'm sure yes sunday afternoon series when a spade isn't a spade a novella by april l thomas currently on Amazon Kindle and paperback. For the following four and a half minutes, everyone's eyes were glued to the presentation on the wall. When it was over, he switched the lights back on and Rachel handed out the folios. The company is Intimate Catering, and no, that's not code for a fancy call girl's service. They offer best sport catering for small private functions. At present, they're doing marvelous work on a local level, but the time has come for them to expand. We're talking rolling out in Trinidad, Grenada, St. Vincent, and the Grenadines, St. Lucia, in just six months. And if all goes well, even further. As such, they've come to us for a total branding overhaul. They feel the company has outgrown its original brand identity. It's too local. So what they need is someone that speaks to their updated version. What does that mean for us? Well, if we can come up with a brilliant idea for their rebranding, the offer of managing their entire expansion process from a marketing and PR perspective is on the table. Nolan paused for effect, but no one was paying any attention. They were all busy digesting the magnitude of what sat in the folios in front of them. 
Now, some of you may still be wondering what this has to do with the creative director job. Well, my friends, to put it simply, this intimate catering project will determine who takes the company to the future. He paused again, and this time he got the effect he wanted. Copywriters, web designers, even Maxim, who had been feverishly crunching the potential numbers in her head, were now hanging on his every word. Over the next week and a half, you will familiarize yourself with intimate catering. Go on their website, read their blog, study their menus, whatever you can. All of the company's thoughts are represented in your folios. Then you will present an inclusive, insightful, ingenious, and most importantly, innovative proposal for their rebranding. Intimate Catering will select the winning presentation. And I'll have my winner. Now, in terms of publishing, um, I mean, back in the day, being an author, not even a writer, but a published writer, an author, mm-hmm. used to be this very big feat. Like, you, you had to have the perfect manuscript to go to the perfect publisher who will um, produce this perfect book for you and now everybody now can say oh well I can publish this book what were some of the steps you took um, to get around some of the challenges in becoming published I think um, the biggest challenge believe it or not is just doing it if that makes <laughs> any sense to you at all a lot of sense um, <laughs> the intimidation is real um, planning the process is very challenging mm-hmm. um especially if you know you're doing other things in life if you have children if you have you know other jobs to do stuff mm-hmm. like that it can all very much make you not finish <laughs> um but really pushing yourself to meet those goals whatever you set for them is really like the first step um after that you go into the actual publishing process and i think understanding doing your research and understanding that for yourself if mm-hmm. especially if you're going into self-publishing just understanding how the process works how you know what what is successful what are the common elements that the most successful self-published books have had like Mm. going and doing all that research is just as important Mm -hmm. as the writing itself so not skipping any of these steps and then getting towards the end and the actual marketing of it Mm -hmm. that's a beast in and of itself i find that people forget about the marketing point Mm -hmm. of it too like they create this really good um set of content they create this digital book (laughs) because barbados you can't really print as much as you like it's a little expensive right but when you put it up on amazon they think that that's it that's the end all of it and then there's this whole host of marketing that needs to be done just like with a musician who releases an album they tour and they go to different countries or different areas of the country they're in to promote this artwork and i think that as literary artists we need to also look into marketing books Mm. as much as we do a a cd or anything else and marketing these things aren't just today or tomorrow it goes it goes for years there are people on my timeline like lovey she had her book since last year and this woman's still with this i'm judging you but i'm like wait Mm -hmm. they're still going on (laughs) like like they milk it till the last second Mm -hmm. and i will say that i think in general um, that is one of the areas that 
writers um, around the world, not just even here in the Caribbean, but around the world, fall down in the best. Mm. Um, we fail at that the best. We focus so much on writing as we are writers and we completely alienate ourselves from this idea of selflessly just just selfishly sorry just out there promoting ourselves and i don't know why it is that we feel like i don't know maybe that's not for us but when you look at for example a rihanna when you look at a beyonce those people are out there pushing themselves yeah. hard yeah. people in the music business are pushing themselves and pushing their work people in film people in all these even visual in spite artists of having a big team because yeah. the team can only carry you so far mm-hmm. i remember there was an interview with rihanna a couple of years ago and she was actually bringing out i think it was her our her first our album r1 i think it was mm-hmm. um i can't remember the exact name of the album right now but i remember her being on a plane on her private jet and she was crying saying that you know like there's there's this humongous team but at the end of the day it's still me who have to make these final decisions and nobody can do nothing unless i go through everything with a fine tooth comb mm-hmm. so people might think yeah this this is a humongous machine that is working which is the case mm-hmm. but you can only get what you put in it you can only get out what you put in it Mm -hmm. and we don't i mean there's so many channels available to us now to promote ourselves and our work um when you look at social media and the wide reaching presence that it has and if you go there and you look especially for like caribbean writers caribbean Mm -hmm. authors they don't exist in that <laughs> space. They don't. And I mean, I know this because I have but looked. why though? We, why? I'm telling Hence you. the podcast. Yes, why? It is so bad. I mean, honestly, Keisha, I go there. I, for example, I'll give you a perfect example. I went searching for some of the past um, Commonwealth short story winners for mm-hmm. like the last, let's say, five to ten years. Mm-hmm. If they have an Instagram there's like one post of their cat yes, on it yes and um that was since like 2015 like oh, writers anti-social don't <laughs> exist on that space and i'm just like what is what is that and i feel like that lack of presence and then that lack of community that we just don't have and mm-hmm. it's just it's it really just makes us feel like, are we taking this thing seriously? No. Maybe some are scared because I know that there are some writers who are extreme introverts. Mm-hmm. All they want to do is sit down and write and they don't really want to do anything else. If they have a publisher, they just want to jerk off the thing to the <laughs> publishing house. Please publish this. Thanks. Mm-hmm. See you in another like three months, three years, three whatever. And the audience is waiting on the next new book. But in terms of going into that person's life, and what they go through to get this book done and like the behind the scenes that everybody mm-hmm. every influencer would do they really bold out mm-hmm. <laughs> they they want to be in the back and you oh you enjoy the book oh that's great but it is a business sense that i think we we have to we have to adopt to cultivate definitely and i think that a part of that also is seeing this as something bigger than ourselves and our book and our work like we all know or we're all always being told that this art farm is dying we're mm. being told that every day you know nobody's reading books anymore everybody's doing you know into the visual the visual the visual mm-hmm. and i think that we have to really take this thing seriously like, okay there are a couple of us left <laughs> at least that's what they want to make us believe right <laughs> there are just a couple of us left and if we're all kind of just shying away in our own corners like yeah i wrote this book please read, please it. read it you know like <laughs> what is that doing to contribute to the literary canon right now like how mm-hmm. are we growing this if we want this to live another 10 20 30 years like what are we doing to commit to art 
to contribute to to writing in the writing space so mm-hmm. i think those are things we have to think about you know are we being selfish with with our with work our work could be yeah so i'm starting a digital bookshelf Nice. With every person who comes on the podcast, nice. um, you don't. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, three female Caribbean women or writers or authors. But if you could, that would be great. Mm-hmm. But I would like you to tell me three Caribbean books that you would recommend to the shelf. One of I, I personally love short story collections. Mm-hmm. I do. I feel like they're not enough of them and I know why because everybody's always told they're not marketable actually mm. just sticking that in there <laughs> um, but I do enjoy them and I do enjoy the fun and the exploration that writers normally have um, with it so um, Shakira Bourne mm-hmm. in time of need yes. has to go up there I have that on my personal <laughs> bookshelf so you have to so put do it I. on yours so do there I you go. <laughs> um, so definitely that one um Another one of my favorites from when I was younger that I reread a couple years ago again mm-hmm. um, in the castle of my skin uh. has to go <laughs> up there. And let me th- oh, let's just like a third one. <laughs> I actually cannot remember the name of it right now. Oh my goodness! Um, but it read sorry it won the Frank Colomer Literary Endowment Award a couple years ago. Okay. Um. You remember the author? Yes, um, Alison Cadogan. Yes. There you go. Um, can't remember it, the name of it, but it was really good. I will put I that in the show notes as well. Um, but those are those are really good books. I know two of them very very well. <laughs> obviously, a very good classic and a very good contemporary book as well. Um, Shakira is probably going to be on the podcast. You guys can also stay true to that. I actually performed from that book, good. so. I am well acquainted with that work, mm-hmm. um, but those are those are very good books. I am definitely going to put them into the digital bookshelf that everybody out there in Right Women Land can go and take a look at. Nice. Um, if anybody wanted to get in contact with you, see you on Instagram. I am on Instagram. <laughs> Where can we find you? Um, so it's on Instagram. It's April Writes. A P R I L E W R I T E S. Also on Twitter, April Thomas, mm-hmm. and then um, of course my website. Awesome. AprilThomas.com. Sweet. Mm-hmm. So you can go and check out April on all of those platforms. Go and buy the books. Go and experience a beautiful storyline. Like like she said before, it's not only poetry she does. She does st- short stories, all types of fiction. And it would be great, you know, just to continue to grow the community here on the Right Women podcast. I am your host once again. And Frizinga, thank you so much for being on this episode. It was great. I had fun. I hope you did as I well. Did. I did. I did. And uh, we are going to see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Ah, I see you're still here. Great. Here's a sneak peek of next week's chapter with poet, storyteller, and author from Jamaica, Adziko Simba Gigile. This is the beginning of the end. <laughs> Somebody calling people. I tell you. <laughs> and it was a one people. Mm-mm. And that's... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and actually, the, the end of that story is they're married and they have three children. Oh, dear. <laughs> so it was for a good cause. <laughs> it was a fantasy of 
him taking out his first girlfriend mm. and what it would be like to fall in love for the first time for a boy. Mm. So that, that was then the catalyst. And I think all writers, one of the things that we really have to excel at is people watching and people listening. Yeah. And I'm in a fortunate position where... Hey, bookworms, what's going on? Thanks for listening to the show. If you want to learn more about the podcast, you can visit empresszinga.com slash the right women podcast. That's empress, Z-I-N-G-H-A, to see our growing digital bookshelf and past episodes. You can also drop us a line at the right women podcast at gmail.com. I've been your host and storyteller, Empress Zynga from Barbados, reminding you to always believe in your magic. See you next chapter.